Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you so much for tuning in. For those listening that do not know me or that are new to the show, which is everyone today, I wanted to share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mom who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times, women assume that they must have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. So many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I've been in education myself for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher education level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, educational consultant, and radio host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is an opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing those leadership skills and confidence to become the empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. I've made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. More about that later. But today is the premiere of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I am so honored to have this opportunity to highlight the amazing things women are doing in education. Each show will have a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share related to empowering women in educational leadership. Our amazing guest today is Dr. Deborah West. And for the past eight years, Dr. Deborah West has served as the Chancellor of Arkansas State University Mid-South, a comprehensive two-year college located in West Memphis, Arkansas. As an Arkansas native, she returned to her home state in August of 15, serving 10 years after serving 10 years at the Mississippi Community College Board, including six years as deputy executive director. In that position, she coordinated academic and student success programs, career, tech and workforce education and training programs, as well as accountability and civil rights compliance activities for the 15 community and junior colleges in the state of Mississippi. I would like to welcome Dr. Deborah West. How are you today? Thank you, Stephanie. I'm great. And I'm very honored to be your first guest. Oh, well, thank you so much. So, you know, we have talked over the years um, about a whole lot of things. And I know that we'll be focusing on three various segments today, mainly women in leadership, the leadership potential. And we kind of talked about that off the air. And so we'll be sure to bring that to the light. And then, of course, community colleges and the world of opportunity that they bring to students. But let's go ahead and just share a little bit, you know, other than the biography I just sent, um, share a little bit about yourself and and kind of why you chose to be a part of this. Well, um, you know, I I sort of refer to myself as an accidental leader. 
uh-huh. I didn't really choose leadership. It sort of chose me. Okay. Um, when I was actually finishing up my master's degree, uh, I had graduated from a two-year college in eastern Arkansas and um, transferred to a four-year university an hour away and completed my baccalaureate and, and was finishing up my master's and actually was trying to decide what I was going to do next, whether I was going to, I had an opportunity to move to Mississippi to, for a job at Mississippi State or just, I didn't really, didn't really have a goal. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And as luck would have it, I was contacted by a former instructor of mine at the community college who said, I need you to come back here and work when you finish your degree. (laughs) And so that's what I did and immediately um, fell in love with the community college. Um, You know, having been a student there, I already knew the value of of what goes on at a community college and how it empowers students uh, to be successful in whatever their chosen field might be. Um, But to be able to give back to my community college and give back to my community in that way was just so powerful. so I started, uh, I was a very, very low level employee. Um, (laughs) I started, uh, I think I've made, you know, this was, this was a little, a little time ago, but not that long ago. And I made like probably $22,000 a year, my first job, but uh, I just, I loved it. And I focused on being the best at it that anybody could be. And um, when you do that, I find people notice and take note of that. And and as you said in your introduction, it doesn't matter what your title is. Um, Mm -hmm. Leadership is not specific to a title. So I was quickly identified as a as a leader on that campus, even in my even in my piddly little almost administrative type job um, and was recognized for that and and had the opportunity to continue to progress and move up. Well, I love that. And and something that you said early on is that you had a contact or a connection that brought you back here. So tell me a little bit about that connection and how did that relationship start? Absolutely. So um, it actually was a faculty member uh, who I he wasn't even in in the course of my major. He was just someone that I needed an elective class and I took that class and just loved the class and tried to sign up for everything that he offered from that point forward for my electives. Mm -hmm. And um, he took a special interest in me, I think, because I took a special interest in the subject matter that he was teaching. And I think uh, community college students here at my institution, we have hired three of our own graduates this past year uh, to come back and work for us. And I think it's, it's so refreshing to be able to to give them the opportunity. They've gone off and done other things, but now they're back here and, and giving them the opportunity that I was given um, by my professor. It's all about making those connections. So, you know, for students in a classroom, make those connections with other students, but also don't fail to make those connections with, uh, with faculty members, with administrators. And the same holds true throughout your career. Um, Connections are so important as you choose to advance. Well, and that's absolutely true. You know, we've had some challenges with a pandemic in the past couple of years that our connections were kind of getting broken, if you will. And so we're having students and faculty and administrators come back, but they're having to learn how to reconnect 
And it's really just getting involved and getting engaged and paying attention and communicating. So what would be a recommendation that you might have? You say, make those connections. And some people say, yeah, I have their contact in my phone. But what does making a connection really mean? Well, you know, there was an article uh, just in the last week that I read. I'm not sure if it was in the Chronicle or exactly what publication that it was in, but it was about students not taking advantage of office hours, faculty office Mm -hmm. hours, to think that, you know, a student, and and I remember being like that. I was a first-generation college student and um, didn't really know whether I should go to an office hour or not. You know, unless I was having a problem, I probably didn't choose to do that early on. Mm -hmm. Now, in reflection and thinking back, I should have probably taken more advantage of the opportunities to visit with those faculty members because, again, they have they have years of connections that they've made that they can tap into to help you progress in your career. Um, and I think that's so important for students to realize as they as they come through to take advantage of the opportunity to connect with those faculty members in more more ways outside of the classroom. Um, and also join organizations if you can. Yes. Um, you know, different honor societies or different clubs. You make connections with with you have opportunities to make connections with alumni and other people who have who have gone before you that can also pull you along as you as you move out and into the world. Well, and that is such great advice. You know, when I was working at the college myself at a community college, I would have students say that, oh, I didn't know I could go during the office hours. I assumed that they were working in their office and it wasn't open to students. So sometimes it's the terminology that we use. So, you know, many faculty have now, they not only have office hours, but they call them student support hours. Um, And they're also available. Yes, they're also available online, you know, through their learning management system, or it might be through a portal or email. So just make sure that you reach out in whatever medium that it is, because those connections, you know, as you said, it got you a job and it it developed your love for leadership and your career and continued on. And it can do that for somebody else, too. Absolutely. And there's and like you said, there's so many more avenues now to make those connections that, you know, when I was coming through, you had to make those connections in person. You can do it through your learning management system or through email. Uh, That's right. Easier. That's right. So let's kind of shift to the um, the women in leadership a little bit. Talking about, did you have a mentor yourself? Did you have somebody that was a great mentorship that fostered you in your leadership journey? Uh, absolutely. I mean, this, we'll begin with with the gentleman who who called me in my in my master's program and asked me to come back and work for him. Um, Dr. Ken Mott uh, was a faculty member, and I he was he died. Um, gosh, last year, uh, maybe a year before last. Now I'm in pandemic time, so I'm have my years confused. But um, he recently passed away, and he was a mentor to to me up until his death. Um, so he was probably the person I would point to first. Um, and then when I when I went back and uh, worked for him for, it, it was a temporary position, so I worked for him for a semester. And then I was hired by um, the Vice President for Academic Affairs, Dr. Lamar Bridges, um, who had been longtime uh, Vice President at the college and was just a dear, dear, dear man. Um, and he taught me so much about um the soft touch, the leadership with a soft touch. He was revered by his faculty members. He didn't 
Um, he didn't lead from above. He led from behind. He empowered people and he made them made them feel good about themselves and about their work. And that just showed me that leadership style could be so important and so powerful. And then when I left that position, I came to work actually at the institution where I serve as chancellor now uh, for the executive vice president here, a female, Dr. Barbara Baxter, and she showed me what what it was like to be led by a woman, a very strong, very smart, very powerful woman who did not um, who did not hold her intellect and her power over anybody that she led. She did lead from above, but she and she led with a firm hand and she had high expectations and she held people accountable, but she did it in such a way um, we, we laughed and because uh, we still quote her on this campus to this day, but, you know, we've seen her uh, terminate someone and they stand up and hug her on the way out the door. <laughs> so, That's a great leader uh, right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so uh, I feel very, very fortunate to have had those people in my life and to be able to to emulate them. And really, you know, I, I, I lead from a position of trying to to hold, make them proud of me as a leader. Well, and that's exactly what, you know, a lot of people think that leadership is just guiding folks, right? you know, and it's really, and that's not it. It's really embracing everything that you're trying to share with them and with the institution or wherever you are. And you're a team, you know, it's yes. empowering others. It's, as you said, leading from behind, pushing others out into the forefront, because it's not all about you as the leader. Absolutely. It's about those that are around you. And we talked about good mentors and, and good leaders. Yes. How to emulate, but you can also learn from people that maybe you don't want to emulate, people that that you work for or, or who lead that do things that maybe you think, oh, I wouldn't necessarily do things that way. So there's there are lessons to be learned um, everywhere you look. So uh, take one hundred percent for the positive <laughs> that you can get from it. That's right. And and you know you talk about positive, but in your leadership journey, a lot of it is about mindset. I mean, Absolutely. a lot of it is about your outlook and how you feel on a regular basis and your consistency Absolutely. You know, with your behavior. So, you know, let's talk about some qualities because we just talked about your mentors and, and we know that you had some very strong mentors, men and women, which is amazing. So how would you define effective leadership and what qualities do you believe are essential for women leaders? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I would think that um, honestly, the quality of a good leader is really it's it, it's not gender specific, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that maybe as I think about things that define that maybe tend to be essential for women leaders, I really think it's essential that we're good listeners. Oftentimes, I'm in meetings um, of, of leaders, presidents, and chancellors, and I notice that. Oftentimes, the males in the room do the most talking. Um, <laughs> and I think in our society, we've been conditioned to expect that and accept it. And so that behavior maybe is not as stigmatized as it would be if the women in the room were, were doing that. So I think it's really important for us to be good listeners. I, I've noticed, too, that that um, the women in the room who do most of the listening, um, as a result, when they do speak, their statements are often more well-reasoned and more well-informed 
informed and frankly more succinct uh, and maybe more closely listened to. So I, again, I'm not not to to bash them in, but of to course say not. That no. It's very important for women to be good listeners because of that perception that you know you can be perceived as being bossy if you're if you're the one out front all the time. Well, and sometimes I, I feel that women are trying to make a statement. And so right. they're almost aggressive on purpose. But, you know, women tend to be those that take on so much at once. You know, you have a family and you have the job and you have the yes. kids and you know, all these other things. So they're able to navigate a lot of things at once. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think listening is huge. And of course, uh, being able to speak appropriately. Yeah. And for me, uh, it's essential that I've done my homework um, before yes. I a position on any subject. I, I had a previous boss once tell me that, or he asked me why I spent so much time preparing for meetings. And my response to him was simply that I might not be the smartest person in the room, but by golly, I was going to be the most well-informed person in the room if I was presenting or if I was expecting to, to weigh in on a subject. And so I think that um, it's important to be well-informed, but it's also important to remember that uh, effective leadership is situational. Absolutely. Yeah. It's situational. And, so. and with that, with being well-informed, you know, so many people say that they get nervous in a situation. And a lot of times it's just the way that you come across with your confidence. It's just your presence. You right. might not know the answer, but it's the way that you respond that really helps Absolutely. that situation. And, and there's no shame in admitting that you don't know the answer. As long as you say you will find out the answer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Always have that statement ready. Always have that statement ready. Well, we have about a minute or so before our next break, but what would you say, what would you highlight as one of your biggest challenges that you faced in your leadership journey along the way? And we'll see how much we get through this before our first break. Oh, you gave me a minute to answer that question. <laughs> um, I think the biggest challenge um, for me, gosh, um, just kind of remember reminding myself to take everything one day at a time. You know, you sit, you tend to look out in, in ahead and you get, uh, you can, you can quickly get overwhelmed by all of the things that are coming at you so fast in a leadership mm -hmm. position. You have to take a deep breath and you have to remember to take one thing at a time. And I think that is huge because so many times we're looking so far down the road that we forget to experience what is right in front of us. Absolutely. And if you're not present in that moment with what's going on, then sometimes you miss the whole boat. Absolutely. I mean, you miss everything. Every every experience is a, is a learning opportunity and you have to take you have to be fully present to take advantage of it. That's right. So as we go off to break, let me go ahead and share. We will come back and we're going to talk about maybe some stories of empowerment and talking about leadership potential. So stay with us after this two-minute break. We will be right back. Again, coming up is Dr. Deborah West with Arkansas State University Mid-South talking about empowering women in educational leadership. Back after this. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. 
With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is career combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I am Dr. Stephanie Dugid, and we are here speaking with Dr. Deborah West from Arkansas State University, Mid-South. She is the chancellor there. And we were just talking about her biggest challenge or the biggest challenge for some women is just making sure that you're present in the moment of your leadership journey and taking care of what you have to for that day. So I want to continue that conversation. You know, we talked about the word potential, and I'm just going to share that word with you, Deborah, and tell me what that means to you in regards to leadership. Um, you know, I, I see this sometimes um, in, in my role when you, you hire leaders uh, or you know, people who are coming in maybe at a lower level than, and then a, you know, a chancellor or a president level, and you see such potential in them, um, and you they have they meet all the required characteristics for somebody's going to do great things and move up through the organization. But unfortunately, they get into a position, and they're so focused on that next job, that next position, that next level, that they forget to do the good work in the position that they're in. And as a result, you know, maybe they don't do so well in that and it and it diminishes uh, how they're viewed on on the campus or in the organization and they're not they're not able to elevate from that position upward. I think it's really really important um, for for all leaders to remember to to do the good work, to do the hard work in the job you're in. Um, and then everything else is going to take care of itself. Don't right. overlook where you are currently. Take advantage of that opportunity to learn um, and to to uh, establish a reputation in that role, wherever it is. So you unpacked a couple things right there. One is that so many people go to school to be a leader. They want to go to the classes and check the boxes that they've learned the theories and they've learned how-tos and they've learned communication. 
but it's not just gathering the information in your mind. It's actually displaying it and practicing it. And so there are also leaders that don't go to school to be a leader that just simply have that innate ability to connect with people and build those relationships and follow through. So I think what's important is what you're sharing is it's not just about checking boxes. Do I have this degree? Yes. You know, can I speak well? Yes. You know, can I do these things? But it's really how do you display it on a day in and day out basis, as you mentioned, being present in that leadership role? Absolutely. And, you know, if you're if you're doing the good work and you're making a difference in the role that you're in, you don't have to you don't have to toot your own horn. People are going to do that for you. You're going to be called the leader. You're not going to have to call yourself a leader. Absolutely. Um, You know, and so, again, I just can't stress enough to focus on focus on doing the good work in whatever position you're in and and everything else will come. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so, again, you just mentioned something else is that if you have to tell people you're the leader, then you're not a leader. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, if you're living living the position, if you're working the position, if you're making those relationships, um, if you're doing what you should be doing and you're willing to, you know, put your boots to the ground, really. You're not the one that says, oh, you go do this. That's beneath my position. If you're the one that's there serving as well alongside everybody else, that is going to speak volumes. Oh, my gosh. There's no job too small. There's no job too small. It doesn't matter what position you're in. I mean, I remember coming when I first came to this campus and watching the president who was so revered here, um, walking in from the parking lot and stopping to pick up paper off of the sidewalk. You know, he no job. Nothing is too menial. No job is too small. And when you when you when you display that and model that behavior for your employees, again, you don't have to tell anybody you're the leader. They, they already know. That's right. So we're talking about potential of leaders and making sure that you are focused where you are and doing the best that you can in your current position as you become elevated in other ways, whether it's a title or whether it's, you know, in your own department. But what would be some, you know, do you have any stories of empowerment? Do you have any stories of people that had some great successes uh, that, you know, maybe they didn't realize they were a leader and you're like, you know what, you really are. (laughs) Well, I will talk about a personal story of empowerment that is just, you know, near and dear to my heart. When I when I was working for the Community College Board in in Mississippi, um, again, I started off as a pretty low level employee at that organization. Again, I, I go into a position. I look for a challenge. I look for some place that I feel like I can make a difference. I don't really care what level the position is in. I'm I'm about learning. I'm about challenges. I'm about making a difference, making things more efficient, making a process better, uh, improving someone's life. Mm -hmm. And um, I focus on that. So I I was in a relatively low level position. And the the person that I reported to was an associate executive director. And he moved on. And I got promoted into his position. He was a very popular uh, person in the state of Mississippi at that time and very well respected among the the workforce and um, uh, more industry types uh, who who operated uh, at the higher levels in the state. And I was introduced at a, at a state level meeting as his successor and uh, Mr. George Slogel, who was uh, president of Hancock Bank, uh, 
came up to me and he said, congratulations on your promotion. And I said, you know, I've got big shoes to fill. And he's told me something that stuck with me and I've used it uh, time and time again throughout my career. And he, he said, remember, you have your own shoes. That's right. And so uh, I think it's important to remember that my leadership style is not going to be like anyone else's. We all have our individual leadership styles. The important thing is to embrace your style and recognize that that the job that you're in, obviously, if you're in that job, your style, your leadership style was what was needed in that job at that time. That's right. So I love that um, you have your own shoes. And so, of course, there's all different colors and sizes and shapes Absolutely. of shoes, but making sure that you find the appropriate shoes that fit you. And you mentioned something about always looking for an opportunity, you know, the challenge. If you're not challenged, you're not changed either. And so Absolutely. that's the biggest thing is that so many people, they want to keep doing what they're doing forever and they're not willing to change or grow. But if you're not changing, you're not growing, you're not developing. And in order to be a successful leader, because you and I both know that leadership is different now than it was oh, you know, two, three years ago, 15, 20, 30 Absolutely. years ago. It is Absolutely. so different. So how has leadership changed? You know, And, and we'll talk about work-life balance here in a second, but how has leadership changed just in your tenure as chancellor there? Gosh, you know, I think that... Um, I think for me, I think that I see many, many more women in leadership positions now than I ever did before. So we're not an anomaly anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, uh, we have a lot of a lot of. I don't mean to imply that there's that people weren't supportive of us as leaders before, but there's a lot more support and understanding of who we are as leaders, as women leaders, uh, mm -hmm. than maybe there were. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I started in Mississippi, um, you didn't you didn't really see a lot of women in leaders, you know, top leader level leadership positions. Um, right. And I didn't realize when I rose to the deputy executive director level and I was going around the state making presentations, I didn't realize that I was sort of a role model. Uh, for women in the state until I left that job. And I got right. notes and cards and letters from people, from women. I had no idea who they were, but right. wrote to tell me how much they appreciated seeing me in that role and, and doing that job. And so I think it's really important as, as particularly as women leaders, not to forget that people are, are looking to us um, as role models. Well, and I think that is so important. Um, you know, we always need a role model. And usually we search for that positive, empowering role model that is around us. You know, I've had conversations with women across the nation. And I feel that the shift from what I hear from many others is that COVID kind of helped people understand that you can have a family and you can work and you can be successful. Because before COVID, we had those traditional models. Yep. You know, you have to be here in the office. You have to do these things. But now we had to get creative with COVID. And although, you know, it had some terrible effects, it also had some amazing effects in the workplace and in education that helped grow and develop and push us forward. So 
I feel that, you know, what you're sharing is exactly true is that there seem to be more women leaders because people are thinking, oh my gosh, you can do it all. You can do this thing remotely because you're taking care of your family and supporting your institution and supporting your job. What do you think about those statements? I I agree. And I think that that's still, I mean, I think we're still sort of trying to figure that out, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to be from going completely remote for a period of time to coming back to campus. And we know that the students that we serve, um, some of them are high touch. Some of them do do fine online, but some of them are, are high touch students. We we need them to be on our campus. We need them to be within our embrace, you know, on a on a more personal and in person level in order for them to be successful. And so I think for us, for for my institution at least, we're still trying to figure out exactly what that what that right balance is. Mm-hmm. And we're reading more and more about um, what these younger employees that are coming up behind us are expecting in a workplace. And the one thing that rises to the top all the time is that flexibility. And so how do we accommodate that need, that need and desire for flexibility, their expectation for flexibility when, you know, for people like you and I, Stephanie, we grew up in a time that was more structured, more formalized, and we're having to sort of change how we think to accommodate the needs of our employees. That's right. And flexibility is, is kind of a key word because when you say flexible, it's not just completely open. You Correct. know, there's <laughs> there are some guidelines and some you know parameters that have to go on with that as well. And so I think that communication is huge in all mm. of this. Absolutely. And so whenever we do talk about effective communication, you know, what are some key points with effective communication? Because so many times we've gotten so used to the digital age. And communication, of course, when you and I grew up, you know, it's writing handwritten letters and right. you know, talking to people and, you know, face to face with individuals. And and now you have digitalization, yes. emails, texts, yep. social media. So how has that shifted and what do we need to focus on with communication? You know, that's it's sort of a double edged sword to a little to, to an extent because it is easier to communicate, but you know, there are all these different avenues of communication. So you're you're getting information overload at some mm-hmm. sometimes. And you know, you're trying to remember, oh, did I did I see that in a text? Was that in an email? You know, <laughs> how do I go back to where that was and reread it? Um, yeah. but I, one thing that that happened recently here on our campus, we went through a um a marketing um consultation to determine um, how, how we needed to restructure our, our marketing department. And one of the things that, I mean, we get beat up on, and, and I I started this during COVID. Every Friday afternoon, I send an email saying everything that was going on on campus, you know, providing encouragement and support to, to faculty and staff. And it's a campus-wide email that goes out. Um, and we still get beaten up on communication. And that's the one thing that we get marked lowest on in every every evaluation or every survey that you know our faculty and staff fill out. We don't do a good a good enough job communicating. We have we have regular meetings. We we send out emails. So I'm thinking, what else? What else? What else can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I asked the marketing staff or the marketing consulting team. I said, you know, one thing we get beaten up on is communication. Have you ever gone in and analyzed? Uh, an organization and the fa- the employees have said, oh, they do a great job at communication. We rank them high in communication. And they laughed and they said, usually they said they had, but usually not in education <laughs> because mm-hmm. education tends to be very siloed, you know, within departments and divisions. Yes. Um, but the point that they made that I thought was so powerful is you have to remember that different people 
receive communication differently. So whereas I might read an email and get my information from an email very easily, mm-hmm. that doesn't work for everyone. People need to hear it. You know, they need to see it. They need to be able to read it. So you have to really start to think about various means of communication and communicating in different ways in order to appeal to everybody's sense of of uh, receiving that information. Well, and that's so true because usually a school, they end up pushing things out in so many ways. But if you have that employee that only checks their email once every other day, right. they're not receiving it, but you sent it. Right. So sometimes it's our experiences and it's our perspectives that differ from one to another. You might say, oh, I didn't get that email. Well, did you check your email? <laughs> oh, I haven't <laughs> opened it yet. I don't have it on my phone. So, you know, all communication things, can't be passive, right? I mean, that's right. That's right. And so that might be where we have those certain expectations as well. Is that in an institution is that, you know, we're going to have this kind of communication and this is how it needs to be checked or, you know, just know that this is always going out on these days at these times. And so we are actively pushing out communication. It's making sure that you're also receptive to it as it comes in. That's right. And so, you know, one of the the talks that I do is called Communication Connections, and it's really having folks look at how do they communicate with others? What is their personality and how that connects with somebody else. So for me, I'm very logical, analytical. I like things in sequence. Mm-hmm. If you put me with one of those folks that just wants to talk about your families all the time and, you know, what'd you do on the weekend? And when we're at work, I'm just, you know, no, I want to get to the point. <laughs> so really understanding your own personality and how you communicate and what that means when you communicate that can make a world of difference whenever you're sharing those messages. That that is so true. That is so true. And I'm I'm guilty as you described. I'm guilty of that <laughs> as well. And I think part of that is being busy. You know. Yes. Uh, and 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 also, I mean, emails are great, but those too need to be structured in a way where you can receive that information in in small pieces. And That's right. Them. That's right, because we've we've even talked about people don't read the whole thing anymore. They read like the top left corner and a little bit of the left side. That's right. So there's a lot of words. They're not getting it. So what would you say to somebody wanting to go into leadership? Um, What would be some words of encouragement or what would you want to say to them? Well, you know, I sort of alluded to this earlier and just remember that leadership um, leadership needs for an organization are situational. Organizational needs evolve. And sometimes in an organization, um, they need one type of leader. And although you may want the job, it may not be your time. Right. And that right. evolution, that organization's evolution. And so I would just remember to know your know your leadership style, seek opportunities that maximize your strengths. Hire well, hire well, hire well, hire well. It's all about the people, right? That's and right. that makes your job easier. And then don't forget to bring others along with you. Mentor, be that mentor to someone else that someone was to you. Well, and I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing those words of encouragement, um, making sure that you understand that we evolve, things change, things happen for a reason and that everybody needs a mentor. So Dr. Deborah West, we've just finished our second segment talking about the potential of leaders and communication in the leadership area. We are going to go to break, but when we come back, we will be talking about the community college and all the world of opportunity that there is. So we'll be back in two minutes.
Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I am Dr. Stephanie Dugan of Dugan Leadership with Dr. Deborah West from Arkansas State University, Mid-South, who is the chancellor there. And we've just finished our two segments on women in leadership and talking about leadership potential and communication. We're going to shift a little bit and just talk about the great secrets. Some people say it's a secret, but you and I have been in this realm for a long time, the world of community colleges. So, Thank you again so much for being here. I know that you have experience in two states, at least with community colleges. So tell me, tell me what your feel is for community colleges. What do you love about them? Oh gosh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a community, I'm a proud community college graduate, um, and I feel like um, for myself and for the students that we serve, oftentimes it's a, uh, it's. Um, it may not, it may be the only choice for some students, but for any student, I think it's the best choice. I think it's a great place to get a start. I think that community colleges do an incredible job of empowering people, um, mm-hmm. people that may not, you know, may not have had anybody in their family go to college before. So they may not know the the ins and outs of how to how to do higher education. And I think community colleges do the best job of anyone of embracing those students, understanding their needs and helping them to be successful. So, you know, you, you unpack several things there and there we may have some listeners that don't really know what a community college is. 
And so for those that are listening, most people assume that college or university is that four-year state institution or Ivy League or one of those very large schools. Um, There are many areas where there are community colleges that are focused on servicing their community, whether it is through the industry that's there, whether it's through empowering student leaders, but they tend to be uh, smaller enrollment for the most part compared to universities, and they tend to tailor to the students and what they need. They are usually open enrollment compared to universities that do have requirements for admission. So community colleges, we feel, and of course I've worked at one for several years, and I know Deborah, you've worked at several um, in your tenure, but you know, I have seen so many light bulbs go on for students. You know, they say, oh, I don't wanna go to college here. I don't wanna stay close to home, but it is the best decision for them. And they turn out to be these amazing adults whenever they leave. So, you know, what are some of the the benefits? Um, what are some highlights that you could share about community colleges, whether it's in Arkansas or otherwise? Well, so uh, you, you touched on it already. I mean, the ability for a student to to go close to home if they if they need to, they may have family obligations that they can't go off to college somewhere. Um, to be able to do that in your own community makes it very convenient for students. Um, mm-hmm. But for students who want that more uh, traditional four-year type experience is a great place to start for those students as well, because there there are lots of opportunities to engage on a community college campus, Um, ways to get that that first, that freshman, sophomore sophomore level experience and get that coursework under your belt. The key is you're doing it at a very reduced cost. Um, Mm -hmm. And so to be able to save money, do it close to home and still have a quality education when you come out is really, really, I think, incredible. And the other thing is community colleges are going to serve you and help you get where you want to go, regardless of whether that is coming in to get a certificate that allows you to go, you know, be a welder, get an AWS certificate, or you want to come in and get a degree that um, enables you to go be a nurse, or you mm-hmm. want to come in and get the coursework to transfer to an institution to to get your engineering degree. I mean, it is, it is virtually limitless um, in terms of what what your options are if you choose to go to a community college. That's right. And so there are different types of community colleges. And in the state of Mississippi, there are 15 main campuses, and most of those are close to railroads. Um, And a lot of those have sports or athletics. They have fine arts, including bands. Um, All of them have some sort of organization. And then many of them have dorms. You know, not all community colleges across the nation have dorms or are residential. I know several in Texas are not that way. So there is a community college out there that can serve you, you know, whoever the student is, whether you're young or old or new or returning or whatever it might be, there is a community college that can serve you. And Deborah, you mentioned a couple different things. You mentioned that there are opportunities for students to go on to university to continue on their education, whether they want to get a bachelor's or continue on. But then a big focus of community colleges is really focusing on that industry, those technical courses, whether you want to be a nurse or a respiratory therapist or occupational um, OTA, occupational therapy assistant, but you also have the welding and the precision machine and the, you know, basically engineering at the two-year level, which is called automation control. Um, and it used to be called automation control, but there are so many different opportunities and for good wages. I mean, that's Absolutely. the big part. 
you know, we were talking about making a sustainable wage so that you can support a family and, and community colleges do just that. And what's really been remarkable to me is to see the change in community colleges and how they do dual credit, dual enrollment. So Mm -hmm. for us, um, we have a very robust secondary center program on our campus. We have secondary center program that allows students to start as early as the 10th grade. They can come through, complete uh, certificates in a in a trades program or, you know, uh, they can get their CNA. Uh, before they get out of high school, basically, graduate from high school, graduate with that that college certificate at the same time. And if they choose to continue on, they've got that foundation, but they can also, if they need to, go get a job with the certificate that they've earned. And so um, they're doing that at no cost to themselves. And so that's been a, that's been a, that's been a change that occurred um, during my time in Mississippi, we weren't really doing a lot of that here in Arkansas when I left. But when I came back, that's been a very robust change in this state um, in terms of how we do uh, concurrent and dual enrollment programs. Well, and dual enrollment, um, I'll use the word, has exploded. I mean, it has just grown yes. by leaps and bounds. And what I will say, just from experience as being an administrator in a community college, dual enrollment is amazing for some. And you have some students that are very prepared and willing to do it and move on. But you also have dual enrollment that you might have some students that aren't yet ready for it. And so I want to encourage parents and I want to encourage leaders at the high schools is that it's not a one size fits all. Just like you mentioned in leadership, you have your own shoes. So um, make sure that you are supporting the student in their journey that is appropriate for them, because once they start dual enrollment, that is a permanent grade on their college transcript forever. And so I hate to see some of those challenges happen with some of our students that are coming up. But as you mentioned, it is a great cost effective way for students to begin to get an education, some that might not have that opportunity elsewhere. That's right. And on the flip side of that, we've actually had students who were in danger of dropping out at the high school. They were Mm -hmm. bored and they went to college and it reignited the passion for learning in them and they became better students as a result. So it's very, it's very individualized, very specific. It's important for parents to recognize that. um, And uh, it's important for colleges to sort of help guide those students as well as as they make the decision whether or not to come as a secondary student. Well, and you mentioned that they really found what they enjoyed doing. They were bored at one level and they come to the next level. You know, that's what career and technical education is all about. It is the hands-on actionable learning that they get to do and they get to practice it. Their their teachers have been in the field. And so what better way to have a mentor than to work with somebody that has been in your field and has been there, done that to help elevate you and push you out into the workforce to support, you know, your local economy and industry? Absolutely. And, you know, those those technical trades programs that we're talking about, they are not, it's not, as I like to say, it's not your daddy's shop class, right? They're, no. They're high tech. They're high skill. They often lead to high, high demand, high wage jobs. And mm-hmm. so it's it's they're extraordinarily valuable uh, to the students who go through those. And they're not dead ends. It doesn't mean that that's where they're going to stop out. They can continue on, like you mentioned, into an engineering program, uh, for that's example. Right. That's um, right. So it's, it's not a it's not a dead end program. No, and what I will say is I joke with my husband all the time. He's actually an administrator in career and technical education. We joke all the time that, you know, we chose education, which isn't, we're not here for 
the pay. We're here for the service and, you know, the purpose that it brings us. But we jokingly say, oh, we should have gone to one of the career and technical programs because we would have made more doing that (laughs) than we did as an administrator at the college. So we kind of joke about that on a regular basis. I, I thought that too until I signed up for a, a welding class in <laughs> July and I learned very quickly that was not for me. <laughs> oh my goodness, no. So, you know, you have got to have, you know, some really, really strong will and be, oh my gosh, it, it is very challenging in some of those trades. And I just, I, I am so, um, what is the word? I just can't. I can't thank those folks enough that really get that training and that education because they do such amazing things in our industries. They really do. So with community colleges, I know that you probably have some stories of amazement with students, but, you know, we typically think of college as being those traditional 18 to 22 year olds that come out there. But, you know, community colleges are really trying to focus on embracing the working individual. So if you are already in a job and you're wanting to come back for some sort of skill or you didn't finish your degree years ago and you're wanting to come back, you know, there are just so many opportunities. Are you seeing those populations as well at Arkansas? Absolutely. And, you know, we have tried very hard. We we actually, my institution began life as a technical school. And so we're very okay. rooted in those technical, uh, career and technical education programs. And so we've tried very hard to program around the working uh, individual and to set, we talk about flexibility, flexibility is for our employees, but it's it's more important to be flexible for your students and how you deliver that instruction in a way that they can go do that job, that nine to five job that they need, but they can come out, out here at night or during their, um, their off hours, wh- whatever time that might be, and, and pick up that extra coursework that will allow them to advance in that job or change jobs if that's what they're seeking. That's right. And so there are a lot of opportunities, but one thing that you mentioned that I think is key is that some of the changes and adjustments that are being made at institutions, it needs to be for the students to make sure that we focus on them. You know, sometimes changes are made for the staff or for (laughs) to make our lives easier, but we have to remember that we're not an institution unless we have those students. So it really needs to be for those students and about the students. Exactly. I mean, we are, our motto around here is students first. We, we, we try to always think about whatever change we decide to make or decision that we make, how does, how does it impact students? That's always the first question that we ask ourselves. I love that. So we are going to run out of time here in a couple minutes, but before we do so, how can people find you? What are some ways that people could get in touch with you or to learn more about Arkansas State University Mid-South? Well, I think the best way to learn about Arkansas State University Mid-South is to probably go to our website. It is www.asumidsouth, all one word, .com. And I'm sorry, .edu. Um, So check out our website or you can find us also on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, For me personally, I have uh, a Facebook account as well um, that you'll see me out there, Deborah West um, at ASU Mid-South. And also I'm on LinkedIn. So please feel free if you have any questions about anything we've talked about today or about my institution particularly or community colleges in general, please reach out. That's right. That's right. We're both very passionate about that. But I would like to share that folks can find me at www.drstephaniedugid.com or on Facebook at Duguid Leadership. 
And then for access to all the links in one location, you can always visit voiceamerica.com and visit the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership page. We are almost out of time for this week. So next week, we will be talking to Dr. Lauren Kerr-Hurley. She is an award-winning educator and author who has dedicated her career to transforming lives through education. So I would like to share that we hope that you tune in next week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And I'd like to leave you with this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. A good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Please tune in next week to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Bye for now. And thank you, Dr. West, for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 